Part two of our year in review. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of December 30th. I'm Joel Ebert. I'm Natalie Allison. Joining us today on Grand Divisions, we've got two guest reporters uh, coming into our office. We've got Eric Schelzig of the Tennessee Journal and Stephen Elliott of the, uh, I guess you say Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, right? Yeah, both. Well, thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. We just kind of wanted to do a look back at the year of Governor Bill Lee's first year in office. Uh, Eric, you are kind of our historic crutch. Uh, you have covered um, several administrations now. And, um, you know, the three of us, I, I guess I covered the tail end of Bill Haslam's, but you guys were just uh, the first year in, in Bill Lee's. But, you know, um, from your perspective, Stephen, um, what have been sort of the, you know, uh, not necessarily the things that uh, everybody saw in the headlines, but what's it been like uh, just from a ro- reporter's perspective covering this as your first administration? Uh, well, I think something that you expect to see with any person coming into power who's never really been in public life is a, is a learning curve. And, and not to say that, that the governor handled that better or worse than others who've been through the same transition um, have, but but you see someone have have to surround themselves with people who've handled the press before or who've handled a legislature before because uh, Bill Lee had run his family business for years, but he'd, he'd never really had to participate in public life in the same magnitude that he is now. And Eric, I mean, what's it been like from your perspective of somebody who has seen multiple administrations, multiple governors? Um, uh, you know, their first year is always kind of a stumbling block, I imagine. But um, what's this one been like compared to others? I think what Stephen says is correct, that there is a steep learning curve for any new governor. This is a somewhat unique situation in that this is the first time a Republican governor has succeeded another Republican governor since governors were allowed to run for re-election. Uh, so usually there's the sort of natural switch from Democratic to Republican or vice versa. And this year we had uh, basically Lee coming in following Haslam and trying to make some changes but also having a lot of con- continuation from the previous administration. Um, you know, previous ones you had Haslam coming in after Bredesen and there were some, some changes there. And before that, Bredesen succeeded Sunquist who was deeply unpopular at the time. So there was interesting dynamics in that one as well. It, it definitely seems, though, that there have been efforts to kind of shake up almost the status quo in a small sense, right? Not necessarily like a Trump drain the swamp sense, but I've heard from some people who worked under Bill Haslam who have acknowledged, yeah, you know, um, the new incoming administration is just – not necessarily listen to either guidance or advice or been open to uh, hearing from our perspectives, almost treating it like they're opposite of parties. I believe the the proper term is disrupt, Joel. There you go. Sorry. They're they're disrupting. I I think that's natural for for any new executive uh, to take what they want from the previous administration and take the advice they want and also try to, you know, carve out their own path and I also cover Nashville government, and they've seen three mayors in the last couple of years. So there have been two transitions, and both times they haven't exactly been friendly, even though they're nonpartisan and they're ostensibly on the same sort of side of things. So I don't think that's necessarily unusual. Do we know the breakdown of um, how many, generally speaking, how many folks survived from the Haslam administration? Like a number of commissioners did stay on, at least a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to my knowledge, you, you know, the the governor's office is full of all new folks. Do you guys know if there were any holdovers uh, in, not in, in the his, executive not, office? Not, definitely not in his inner circle, right? I think that in the departments, there's, like you said, there's been some holdovers in the previous administration, but a lot of new people. And then, of course, as, as we've seen in some of the reporting that Chalkbeat has done about the education department, there's been a, a wholesale uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, you know, the heavy turnover, much heavier than usual, where I think the numbers were something like 18% mm-hmm. of that agency have, have left. And that compares with uh, when Haslam came in after Bredesen, it was maybe 8% or something like that. I hope I'm not messing up those numbers. No, I think you're right. Um, but, you know, there, there's there's been definitely targeted views, and which, change, which reflects sort of changing or different attitudes on school choice matters that Bill Lee has really made his, his top issue in his first year in office. Well, and it was interesting, I think, from from our perspective. We covered his campaign for, you know, uh, two-plus years. Um, you didn't necessarily hear a lot of the, here's the concrete policy that I'm going to get behind when he got in office, right? He talked about uh, just ideas, but he didn't ever really get fully behind the ESA bill until he debuted in the state of the state. Um, I think that was a significant uh, difference between covering at least, you know, the gas tax introduction um, uh, in Shore, Tennessee, where the administration really tried to roll out these ideas. uh, Or maybe I'm wrong, Eric. What do you think? Yes, that's true. I I think, you know, to some extent, we're always kept in the dark until we're not anymore. Uh, But I I don't think there's any question that that we knew that the – well – once Haslam said he was going to do the insurance Tennessee, we knew it was coming, and there was there was several weeks run up, and 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 then it happened. Of course, it crashed and burned. While the uh, ESAs or the voucher bill uh, did succeed, and some might argue because it was on a li- more limited time scale, they didn't give it enough time for people to really mobilize and and and, and defeat it. Uh, you know, by keeping the time short, they they managed to get it through just. And, by one vote. And even in that short time, it was scaled back from its original scope, which was obviously much wider. From a um, branding point of view, how the governor is portraying himself and what he's about, um, you know, this being the the first um, governor's administration that I've covered, I, I came in at the very, very tail end of Hazlitt when he was, you know, one foot out the door. Um, it, it does seem like Bill Lee, I'm not sure if this is just all him or, or partially his communications team, has gone out of his way to present himself as just a man of the people. Uh, the videos from the f- the farm and, and very casual outfits and um, the videos of him chopping down his, his Christmas tree with an axe and, um, you know, whatever else. And I, I wasn't here for a long time closely following um, Bill Haslam's, uh, certainly not his social media posts, but even just um, how he how he addressed um, you know community groups and other things like that. What what are your observations on how those two men differ and how they present themselves and interact with the public and and make connections there? Well, well Haslam definitely didn't portray himself as a gentleman farmer, so uh, <laughs> um, he came from a different world in, in that regard. But but I think you're you're right that that Billy certainly uh, wants to portray himself as the outsider that he was during the campaign. 
uh, and still wants to stay that way, which is interesting and hard to do. Well, when it's you amusing because you know, he, he went from be definitely from being an outsider uh, to being the the cog or the wheel. I mean, right. he's now the ultimate insider, which he, he chooses not to or, or doesn't really want to admit. I think uh, we saw this during the whole uh, Cassidy scandal that the House Speaker. Uh, when people would ask the governor what he thought, and he just kind of walked through his hands up and said, that's a legislative issue, until finally he didn't. I mean, at, mm-hmm. at one point he finally said, I'll call a special session if he doesn't resign, and which I think played a big role in him resigning. But uh, he was extremely reluctant to get involved in, in, in the sort of inner workings of legislative uh, turmoil, which I think he sees as the ultimate insider issue, and he wants to sort of remain outside or above uh, that whole scene. And reluctant to even comment on issues that are 100% re- relevant to the governor's office. Like, you know, Joel and I have discussed this on the podcast before. Uh, I think we actually mentioned it when Chris Walker, his communications director, came on. But um, in general, it does seem like the governor has uh, made an effort to avoid putting out an explicit opinion on uh, any number of issues. Do you have any thoughts, Stephen, on, on Bill Lee's branding so far this year? Uh, yeah, I guess... So now there have been three governors in a row who have been wealthy businessmen. I, I, I guess Bill Lee, the least among them. But he's still uh, portraying himself as a, a, a sort of man of rural Tennessee in a way that neither Bill Haslam or Phil Bredesen would or could if they tried to. Um, but but as Joel alluded to, it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to do that uh, You know, while living in the governor's mansion and I don't know how many people are actually seeing his his videos from the farm. I, I think one of the the interesting things that have gone on um, right now is even this period of time, right? So this is the period of time where they start gearing up for the next legislative session. And every year it's, you know, uh, kind of a rat race for us to kind of figure out what's going to be the hot topic, right? And I don't know about you guys. We're recording this in uh, mid-December. Um, we don't know. Uh, there hasn't been a clear picture. It sounds like there's going to be criminal justice reform. But if there's going to be wholesale change, that's going to that's a long thing that is going to have to play out. And we have gotten no indication that there will be. Uh, I think in years past, you have seen um, there have been indications even within leadership and 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 people outside of the administration who have an idea. And you know, we were talking to to Ron Gant earlier today. He has no idea, really. Uh, I think that's an interesting development. And throw in the fact that on the last day of the session, what do you guys remember Bill Lee vowed about bills? He said he wouldn't vote a single one uh, or a veto a single one, which is a very odd move to do, isn't it? Well, I think one reason that we might not be getting a clear indication, it could be because the two major accomplishments from last year are still to a degree up in the air. Um, the, the Medicaid block grant thing is up in Washington. We're not sure how or if that will play out. And then the, the vouchers, uh, the education savings account, um, he, he wants it to be done uh, in time for next school year. A lot of people in the legislature uh, are a little more wary. And there's questions about uh, whether it's taxable income or not that are still to be figured out. And there's all the turnover that Eric mentioned at the, the State Department. So I think that that might be playing into it. Mm-hmm. And as we saw with, with the ESA bill, they introduced a version that was much more broad than what ultimately passed. And they didn't seem to have a lot of uh, resistance or hesitance to step back to do whatever had to be done to make sure that passed. It was originally going to apply to five counties and to homeschooling and to various other things and a much wider 
you know, you could use those ESAs on, on much more education-related materials. Uh, and in the end, it was two counties, and, and the income limits were much lower, and they just, you know, they, they're like, well, that's fine. We passed it. We're happy. Uh, so on, on criminal justice reform, it's true that there's a sense in the legislature that something's coming, and, and generically everyone seems like, well, yeah, we're for we're for reform. That sounds good, but we don't know what it is exactly. Right. Uh, and until we do, we're not going to have anyone being against it, and we're not going to have them doing the the whole dance of trying to find something that will pass. Well, and there's also been I, I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes you look at you know either committee meetings where um, a member of the administration is up and they sit there and say. You know, I'm new. I'm new to the job. Um, I think you can use that excuse for a while, but after nine months, a year in, you're no longer new, you know, and if you're afraid to put your either stamp of approval or take a stand on something, uh, at some point, uh, that that excuse is going to run dry in the legislature, uh, among other places. In the legislature, but maybe not with voters, right? I mean, that's that's how he, you know, soared to the top. He, he avoided saying anything particularly, you know, offensive or, or controversial in, in, in a number of issues that he was asked about and kept his answers very general. Um, during the campaign, and, and like we mentioned before, has done that um, to in, in response to questions that reporters have asked throughout the year. Um, let's switch gears to uh, what the learning curve was like for Haslam's first year in office. So, Eric, you were you were here covering um, Tennessee politics then for the Associated Press at the time. That's right. Um, do you do you remember what was there a lot of like? discomfort, awkward moments, major screw-ups, um, Haslam being surrounded by people who didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. Was there much of that then? And then how do you think that compares to what we've seen um, happen this past year? Yeah, Haslam's uh, transition wasn't without uh, issues. As as some of the fellow old-timers may recall, he, he ran against uh, two people in, in the gubernatorial primary, including Ron Ramsey, who was the Senate speaker. And when the session started, it became clear fairly quickly that Ramsey was going to be running the show in the legislature, uh, and and Haslam um, and, and his and his and his group weren't entirely prepared for what what faced them, and and they really they showed up on their first day of session, and the legislature was churning ahead, and they were sort of caught flat-footed. Um, so I, I think it's it's easy to sort of forget that in the, in the long view, given that we most recently remember Haslam in his last two or three years in office where he was at his most effective. Um, you know, he had that special session in 2015 to do Insure Tennessee, and it failed spectacularly. Uh, toward the end of his time in office, he did pass the the gas tax, the Improve Act, uh, I think to many people's surprise. And, and some, to some, buy a wider margin than I think many would have expected. Right. But to get it through the committee system, they mm-hmm. had to pull some some trickery and, yep. and some maneuvering, and, and they were very shrewd and, and sophisticated about it. So in my mind, at least, that's what I remember about Haslam most recently, being at the top of his game. And then you have Lee coming in his first year, and necessarily there's going to be a learning curve, and it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him. But if we cast our minds back, yes, Haslam had a really rough time. I, I, I'm trying to remember what the quote was, but he had something on the lines of like, "We we started the game, and and the and the uh, and the legislature was already on the 20 yard line, or something like that." I, I have to look up what it was. Well, and I, I mean, I just hear from talking to our colleagues that did cover him at the time, Anita Wadwani being one who reported a lot on DCS. I remember, and they're just being, you know, uh, the the administration was almost um, uh, unwilling to admit any fault. That's something that we've seen in in the current administration. Um, you also saw, I, I believe, wasn't the education commissioner drummed out fairly quickly? Uh, Haslam's first. 
I'm trying to remember. It was it was a couple of years. Uh, this was okay. Ke- Kevin Huffman, who was a, a reformer, and uh, uh, you know, and tried to change things significantly. And, mm-hmm. and there was there was a lot of pushback by by school superintendents and others. It was definitely a rocky period. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was, uh, yeah, he did leave. I'm trying. I can't quite remember sure, when it was. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it was it, you know, it was definitely difficult for 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 Haslam to start, and I think that's that's one thing to keep in mind that it, it takes a while to figure out how this really works, and and uh, and I get the jury's still out on whether whether Lee uh, will will get there. <laughs> when we had um, Chris Walker uh, on the podcast last time. He was talking about uh, – he, he just made a quick line that said, oh, yeah, uh, Governor Lee will be here for, what, the, the, a total of eight years. And I, I, I quickly called him on it because I've never heard anybody say that he's running for re-election. But, Stephen, in your mind, I mean, it's pretty tough for uh, for an incumbent, uh, unless you're David Briley somehow, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to to lose their, their seat, you would think, right? Yeah, and it seems at least so far that uh, he seems to enjoy the adulation of of many of the state's Republicans, uh, whether that's because they, you know, think he united their side after that sort of contentious primary or they like being close to the governor. I don't know. But um, as long as uh, he he keeps sending those videos from the farm and – and and keeping people happy, then I, I wouldn't expect any, you know anything to change in well, three years. And you think about the, just the makeup of the legislature; it's made up of a lot of rural Republicans. And what's been one overriding message throughout his time here? All of his commissioners reflect this: they want to focus on rural, right? Mm-hmm. They want to figure out ways to either make the rural uh, uh, cities, counties, you know, stronger. Um, and so why wouldn't that be popular, right? And, and, and I'm no cynic, but you, you might be able to, to, to overlap the maps of uh, Republican voters uh, versus Democratic voters in the state, and, and the Republican voters would largely uh, reside in mm-hmm. those places who um, are reaping the benefits of his new rural focus, and, and the Democratic voters would be residing in the more urban areas. Except for suburban areas, which are, are pretty heavily populated as well, right. Rutherf- Rutherford County, Williamson County, and, and and you know just the suburban Shelby County. I mean, there is, a, but a lot of people there consider themselves to be of rural backgrounds, even though they 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 aren't anymore, and and those places certainly aren't rural anymore. But uh, there's a lot of voters in those places that, and I wonder to some extent whether that's going to blow back at some point on the lead administration, where everything is about rural, rural, rural. And that isn't everybody in the Republican Party or in the state for that matter. And I do think that that's where uh, Democrats are, are going to train their focus in 2020 is those suburban areas, the Rutherford counties of the, the state. And that's right. So I, I wonder, you know, what do you guys think is sort of at stake with this upcoming session? Um, generally, again, the first year is kind of that forgiveness period. It's an election year. You can't come up with, you know, the most controversial idea, but you also have to show that you are doing something uh, to, you know, advance your cause, your, you know, uh, initiatives. Um, what happens if we come out of May and, and June, hopefully it doesn't go that long, um, uh, and there isn't a major accomplishment? Is that a bad thing for the governor? Well, I mean, it depends what major is, right? I mean, it's a, you can play everything anyway. They, right? they, they, they're obligated to pass the budget, and that's what they'll tell. A right? balanced budget. You know, <laughs> yeah, they will yeah. balance the budget as required by the Constitution, but th- there will be an accomplishment nonetheless. It always is. <laughs> I mean, I, I, my, my sense is that this year might be more difficult for Lee, one, because he's been around for a year and, and, and the honeymoon period necessarily is going to wear off. 
but two, because there's a new speaker who isn't quite as dedicated to all things uh, Lee as, as, as Cassida seemed to be in his, in his first and only year. Um, now you have uh, Cameron Sexton, who is much more independent-minded and depending who, who you believe is his eyes on the governor's mansion himself. Um, and the question is whether they'll assert more independence and try to you know, chart their own course in the House more than they did this last session. I think they will. And I think, you know, adding to that uh, level of intrigue, you have Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. Where does he fall? He is somebody who is very familiar with both men, Billy and uh, Cameron Sexton. Uh, Sexton, of course, worked on his campaign at one point. Um, so it, it, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting session to see how all three of these leaders direct their respective, you know, uh, bodies, agencies to um, uh, move forward in whatever way they want to view. But so far, uh, it there hasn't been a, a clear picture of what's going to happen this year. Well, I think we've we've talked about this a bit, but last year the, the House made a point of leading on the budget. So-called. Uh, so-called. And, and, and you, this you, you year— missed, You missed the air quotes. So you, can't, <laughs> just, no, you can't see them on the podcast, but Stephen just did a big air quote. <laughs> um, so we heard a lot about that, and, and this year it, it's even more accelerated, as we are seeing this week with— uh, Budget hearings, yeah. The Wildcat budget hearings. <laughs> uh, so so I, I guess that's an indication that maybe the, uh, the House under New Speaker Sexton might be trying to continue some of that effort. I do, in general, foresee, though— Fewer, fewer uh, pissing contests between the chambers uh, this coming session, though. I mean, oh come on, Natalie, you're so naive, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, McNally and Sexton are buddies. Yeah, but there's always going to be the outliers, the screamers in the wind, the Andy Holt 1.0. I said fewer. I, I didn't say none. I think fewer. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It was a constant battle this past year. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I think there there will be more. There always is something, and even if if Sexton and McNally are buddies, then there's other people who aren't, and personality conflicts will come into it, and, and largely because they have to serve their base, and that's their own chamber, right? So the Senate may want to do something that the House isn't going to want to do, and even if they like each other, they're going to have to force some kind of conflict, right? <laughs> There's, there's always something, and uh, you know the, the, the chambers are going to fight. And when the Democrats were ran the show, Jimmy Nafee fought against John Wilder, and and it just it, there's always something that develops in the friction. It's always easier to blame the other than to blame yourselves, and so they, they'll, they're going to fight at some level. And if there wasn't, then what would we have to write about? <laughs> they'll blame the media regardless, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, I think you got anything else, Natalie? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that sort of covers it. Uh, we were happy to have you guys come on and just share some of your thoughts and observations um, from this from this past year, from different perspectives, different uh, experiences going into it. Um, so I guess we're we're still all in this together going into next session and. Maybe we can report well, back a year me, from now. Let me ask you this, since it's uh, December and, and, and the future is wide open, when is the session going to end? Well, I, the word is like, what, mid-April? Well, come on now. They always say stuff like I that. I don't know. No that's what they're saying. They got to no raise way. money. Yeah, that's true. They got to get is... out so they can they can make some money. So does anybody want to go absurd and go March? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's absurd. I, th- I think to finish early, there, there has to be a lot of pressure exerted. Uh, and someone like Sexton, who's trying to consolidate his control, 
isn't necessarily going to want to pressure his people to doing things they don't want to do, which is why I think you'll see a lot of heavy hot-button issues and uh, social issues come up, which has the, ex- the effect of extending session because it causes a lot of debate. At the uh, same time, there, with there not being a major governor's bill, that will accelerate the session in a way that the vouchers bill didn't. Um, one thing I've I've heard tossed around is that Speaker Sexton might be a little friendlier to the minority, at least in terms of giving them the opportunity to, to, to debate bills and that inevitably could extend things. Interesting. Well, we will stay tuned. Uh, so thank you guys again for coming on and uh, appreciate your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, thank you for listening. You can find us on iTunes and Spreaker, wherever you get your podcasts every Tuesday. This podcast, as always, is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, That's all we have for this year, but we will be back next year at our usual time and date. Uh, So stay tuned for new episodes uh, coming in January 2020. Uh, As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Elson. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and see you next week. Mm